You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, man? This is your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast. The 352nd episode, my gosh, I've been running my mouth for a minute, apparently. Wow, wepa, but what? You know what I've been doing? Celebrating amazing independent creators, and this episode is just ideal. Bro. We got another homie in the biz. He's an amazing creator. He's an author of an epic fantasy saga that just funded recently on Kickstarter. We're going to get into that, you know, and what the future lies and his whole journey. It's called Enyard, The Rule of Nine. They introduced the one, the only, the future legend himself coming to the ring of CCB, Mr. J.L. Johnson Jr. Wepa, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. Now, thanks for coming through, brother. Discuss that epic saga for real. I mean, I'm re- I'm in the middle of reading the book. You know, th- th- thank you for the PDF again. You know, I, I got a lot- people send me a lot of material, brother. <laughs> So hard to keep up, but I definitely do try to keep up. And, you know, and once I finish, I'll definitely want to compliment folks, you know, you know, talk about their work. Um, But what you're doing right now that definitely got me hooked and intrigued. You know, I, I was happy you were, were a minute late. I was like, all right, great. I get to read a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I, what I sent you was, you know, a, a decent chunk of homework. So I'm glad you got through some of it. Oh, no, no, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, what what world building? But we're, we're going to get into all that, get into this mind. So really back to this is a combo podcast. We've got to talk about them origins. So, you know, talk about where you hail from originally and the first thing in pop culture you ever fell in love with. Ooh. I actually, I got nervous when I heard that question. I was like, I don't know. But then <laughs> they hit me. So I'm born and raised in northern New Jersey. I'm still here. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, so about a town over from there now. I won't say where. People are crazy on the internet. I'm not too far. But the earliest, the, the first thing I remember falling up in love with was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I got oh. nervous because in my head, I'm like, what was it? But that not only... Is that the honest answer that has some independent comics origins too? So I think of it course. was. Mirage, of course, of course. I mean, Kevin Eastman and his other homie definitely, you know, did the business there and brought something new that, that, that blew up on a level that, you know, I think opened a lot of independent creators' eyes, you know, at least especially at the time. For sure. And, you know, I, I remember just spending hours, whether it was watching the cartoon as a kid or when the movie started dropping or even the action figures, you know. That was the thing for me. I had all the action figures. I remember spending hours setting them up like we were going through different episodes. And, you know, that's probably some of the first storytelling I ever tinkered with, too, as a kid, you know, these these turtles and, and giving them things to do. So, yeah, yeah you, you know, I, I hear you. Were you an only child or did you have siblings? Only I, I, well, all of my siblings are, I, I do have siblings, but we're all 10 years apart. So, for oh man, doesn't like me and my brothers, yo, only yo, I feel you. So, yeah, I, I, we had overactive imaginations before they yeah. were even born. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was definitely spending a lot of uh quality time just stacking up, you know, toys. And then 
the first thing, when you really first started asking that question, I was thinking, is it Power Rangers? And I'm like, no, that wasn't first. And then Sonic the Heck, Sonic the Hedgehog, no. It was definitely the Turtles, man. You could tell, I could tell similar stories about both of those other, you know, properties, but it was definitely the Turtles. I'm a Don Tello guy myself. Oh, oh, there we go. You got to see, I have a friend, big shout out to Claps. He has, you got to see, he has still like, it's about a complete OG Ninja Turtles connection. He even got the blimp. He got the whole joint for them TMNT old schools. I remember, I remember the, I remember the little van had the turtle shell top. <laughs> I, I wish I was smart enough to keep them, but I'm I'm sure I got so, too cool and threw them away or something. So because you were the oldest, were you also alone as, as a geek in your fandom or did you have kind of a tribe of you know, homies that, that rode with you in your geekdom? No, and that, that also fits into, you know, my origin story as a writer. If I could just quickly jump around the timeline a bit, I, I ended up hiding that, you know, in my early teens and teen oh. years, it wasn't really cool to be into the, the geeky stuff yet. And so, no, you know, my, my friends and I, we were, you know, we talked sports, we talked girls, we talked parties. We didn't talk comic books and, and science fiction and fantasy, all the stuff that I really love. I wish it was like it is now where you could just lean in all the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. you and me both, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I guess that was also... You, you had to go through that phase to get to where we are now, where the most popular things in the world all come from that, that, you know, nerd geek slash, you know, pop culture place now, you know, it's, it's a weird phenomenon, but I'm definitely enjoying it. All right. So, then, so all right. So you, you're alone and doing your thing, change the problem, the siblings, you're hiding yourself. So talk about that. How did your journey in the comic book industry begin? And what experiences, you know, shaped the career that then inspired what Enya is? You know, and, and like I said, just bouncing around. So back in 2015, I was working in a school district and I just realized for a lot of reasons that that wasn't just, just wasn't for me. But, you know, I, I still, still felt like part of that journey as a teacher was molding me as a storyteller. So when I walked away from that job, the first thing that I did is I went on vacation with my then girlfriend, now wife, and I just wrote the entire trip. And what I actually ended up writing were two or three different, you know, outlines for comic book series. And it kind of came out of nowhere. Like I really didn't sit down with the desire to do that. I opened up Scrivener on my laptop and I think I just started playing around with a comic book template. Well, not to get too far ahead, I ended up sending out some of those scripts that I eventually developed to artists. And they were like, dude, what? Can we curse on this show? Yeah, of course. We're an adult. Don't you worry. This is an adult. It's for kids, folks. I, I say that straight I, up. You know, for kids. This is an adult show. We, we got to be honest. That, you know, it's creative. So this is about how you feel. So whatever you feel, bro. Basically, the response is, what the fuck is this? Like, this is not proper formatting. <laughs> I am not reading this. No, I'm not working with you. And so I fell back in, and that was probably 2015, 2016, but I kept writing, I kept developing yeah. these series. And then one thing led to another, another, and I kept coming back to what eventually is now any, and, you know, I, I kept honing the craft and checking in with artists here and there, getting feedback from them about what it was supposed to look like. And one thing led to another, and I finally had what was any, and I sent it to an editor okay. right when I was getting ready to cash it all in and say, you know what, this isn't it for me. And the editor got back to me with some amazing feedback. And I had that moment of, oh, I can do this. Nice. That was that was early 2020. And then I kind of dove head first from there. Man, so you, you so now you're diving in head first. 
what was that learning curve like? Or were you aware of what you were diving into already? So from a behind the scenes writing perspective, I was definitely prepared because I had spent three or four years just constantly, you know, I would go to DeviantArt and just chat with artists. I would go, you know, whether it was Twitter, Facebook, whatever it was at the time, send people my scripts. I was getting feedback along the way. But then when you get into the actual comic creation and you realize how collaborative it is when rubber meets the road, that was definitely learning on the job. You know, I had some great artists work that I worked with in the development phase. Shout out to Julia Gulazi. You can see her name on some some Marvel covers these days. She was big in helping me just learn how to work with an artist. You know, she was very patient. You know, I had some other folks along the way whose names I'm blanking on right now. But once I got the initial work with artists under my belt, then I felt like things shifted again when it got to project management and things like Kickstarter. So definitely, I like to think about base camp. You think about climbing Mount Everest, right? You think you got it. You get the base camp, you settle in. You're like, oh yeah, I did that. But then that next level, it's like, oh, it's a whole new climb. But I feel like there's enough plateaus in between it that I can kind of catch up. And I'm definitely on one of those right now, just trying to recalibrate and figure everything out, figure out what my next steps are. Right, so as we figure it out, what makes Inead then the rule of nine stand out from the fantasy comics that are currently in the market today? Let's get into that story and this world building you're doing. So the two ways that I hear that question. The first one is just in structure. A lot of the fantasy comics that I enjoy, you know, the one that comes to mind always, or at least it used to when I got asked this question was Birthright. Um, oh, great, great choice. Yeah. Fantastic. And I am not knocking Birthright. I enjoy Birthright. But it's almost more action adventure than it is true epic fantasy. And what I mean when I say that is, yes, there's there's lore, there's history, but it, it, it's a linear story for the most part. It's more um, man. <laughs> exactly. And then that's not a problem, but that's what sets any of it apart. Any of it is trying to do the Lord of the Rings, the Game of Thrones, the Cosmere, like Let's take these really big, illustrative fantasy worlds and let's just let them play out in comics. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to run with that is every time I read an epic fantasy, I see it in pictures. I always saw it as a comic and I always kept waiting. I want this. I want this. I want someone to write this. I want some. And then they came out with the graphic novel versions of Game of Thrones and seeing that and knowing what I know about that story, I was like, yes, this can be done. You can be patient. Comic fans want stories that continue. They love ongoing series. And so that, that to me is the thing that stands out about any is that I'm being extremely patient and I'm letting what makes epic fantasy be epic fantasy. But we get to see it unfold in pictures, panel by panel. Beautiful. Let me add this. This is that successful Kickstarter that you just had recently right here, baby. Look at that. Epic comic book card at this box. Let me play that video real quick. All right. That way you you guys can check this out. Get a tease. You know, it'd be nice if I hit play, huh? (laughs) Fans of any of them, I'm JL Johnson Jr. And this is any six, the Kickstarter. After a very quiet 2022, where we only launched one campaign to get volume one fully colored. We're back to kick off 2023 with a bang. This campaign will be focused on a special edition of Volume 1 where you get to focus the Renatu's eyes at his eyes only and replay the events 
a volume one with a brand new perspective. Not only that, you'll get a sneak peek at where Anatu is going to end up in volume two, which is scheduled for release at the end of this golden neurosis. It will be available for those of you who choose the back. The 100 will be found in our collector's box, which has two exclusives a die cut sticker and a map length Anatu trading card. I couldn't be more excited for the things to bring your way in 2024. And now this campaign lets your palette just enough to keep coming back all year. Thanks again. I'll be back again. And it was definitely a happy backing, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It was, you know, that was the celebration, man. You know, that was my sixth Kickstarter campaign, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was my sixth. And, so, and you know, the, the successful? Yes, six for six. Six for six. Um, Look I'm, at you. <laughs> Buying a hundred, baby. Where five? I love it. And, you know, so I, I was, at. it's funny, I'm watching that, so that I recorded that there's literally nothing else in that apartment other than what's behind me on that bookshelf. I had moved <laughs> out of that <laughs> like the week before that, but we still had the lease. And so I got off work, you know, late at night, ran over there, had my spotlight on. And I just saw so I'm watching that and just chuckling. And I did not, I didn't know you were going to play that. I didn't mean to wear that shirt, but it's funny how it works. So I'm oh, that but it, it was a it was a big celebration because again, like as I was kind of hinting at the early part of my comic book journey, I didn't really think anybody was going to read my stuff. I didn't think I was going to be able to, as someone completely independent, kind of coming out of the field. Master. Why would you think that? Why would you th- honestly? I, I got to get into this feeling of yeah. why you independent creators get into this feeling. Like, you know, you have something that's awesome. You know what? What is it? What? What is it? For me personally, I didn't know if I had a good enough understanding of the medium okay. to make it work. Even and with the homework you did. Say again? Even with the homework you did, because you were telling me you were going into your, your choice, yeah. speaking to people, you know, even even with you doing that, you still didn't build up that confidence. It took, work. and and the answer, the short answer to that is no. It took until June 2020. You know, where most of us are on our couches. So for a full-time job, I manage a gym. So I certainly wasn't working. And, you know, money wasn't coming in. And here I am messing around trying to, you know, write this comic book. And it just, like, I, I had hit some snags with some of those artists in their schedules. You know, they took bigger gigs. They took jobs that they should have taken. Like I said, Julia now finds herself doing work for Marvel. So that she made the right choice. But I felt like, yeah, this just isn't working. And then I sent an email to an editor, shout out to, to Laura. And what she said to me actually was what kept me going. And she said, so you're telling me you don't do this for a living? She was like, this is your first time really writing comic book scripts. And I explained like what my journey was. And she was like, this doesn't make any sense. You know how to do this. Like, this is what it should look like. You should go with this. And it was that external push that, finally made it click for me. And so when I'm looking at the first volume over 180 pages in this world, when I'm recording that video, I'm just, I was on cloud nine because, you know, I got to the point where I'm making little miniatures and collectibles and I've got multiple covers. And so, yeah, it really was that, that, that email response when I sent out that first issue script to this editor, that that was when the confidence kicked in. But before that, yeah, the self doubt was real. 
I'm doing those joints for my skeletal to hold down. <laughs> I, I got you. I got I got a few more things coming. You know, we I know you said we get into that, but one of the things that this little hiatus I've been on has allowed me to do is just assess what I have been able to do. You know, a lot of people and you know you asking me this last question is just another version of that, that reminder that as independent creators, we should be proud of what we're doing. We should take ownership of it. We should pat ourselves on the back. And that's really what I spent like the last three, four months doing, like appreciating not only the support, but the work that I put in. You know, we always thank folks who who help us, you know, especially with Kickstarter being such a big part of this. But I am proud of what I've done. And I do think I have what it takes to bring this thing home. And- oh, you absolutely do. Listen, like I said, I was reading. <laughs> I was I was in it deep, man. Like, okay, no, normally I'm like, oh, man, they're late. Not this time. I, you know what? Yeah, all right, no problem. I know he's showing up. We will discuss this. So he's going to keep giving <laughs> me patient. Don't worry. Take your time. <laughs> I was funny, though. You know, you, you made the right art choices. Very funny. I was thinking about this as I was reading. I was like, it's very much like an Andrew McLean style, uh, like headlopper, it looks like. You know what I mean? And that style. But you're doing obviously something, you know, e- e- even on a larger scale than what headlopper is, of course. But just in, in, in the art style, I really dug it. You know, what, what made you so, select that type of look for the book? So that shout out to Luke Horsman, who really sets the tone for the the the, the visuals. I do work with a few other artists. Edward Liley, Apple Nunez, Martin Nealon, to name a few. I have some others that I've worked with, but their stuff hasn't been released yet. So I'll hold their names back for now. But Luke set the tone. And, and when I found Luke, what was crazy is I went on his website after someone either sent me his art or I found him on Instagram. I mean, you went on his website a few years ago. It was a 3D homepage. So you could scroll around the homepage and you were in the middle of a, an alien like flea market is the way that it kind of read to me. <laughs> and when I saw that, I was like, this dude understands world building. I could just tell. Yeah. And so that really is what sold me. But then I went even deeper and I looked at the way that his art just was so fluid. And, you know, he had worked with a couple of independent folks. So I went and bought their books and read their books. I'm like, this is the guy. So initially I had more of a desire to make it you know, look like it was on TV, you know, hyper realistic because I felt like what I was doing was trying to tell this elevated story. So I, I wanted to, and again, not knocking Luke's art, Luke is fantastic. I wanted this elevated kind of elegant artwork, but then I saw what Luke was doing and I realized, no, that's a mistake. You got to, in order for this to feel as alive to readers as it does to me, this thing's got to move. It's got to flow. It's got to breathe. Yeah, yeah. That art, art does look like it moves. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I know I say this, but nah, it sounds, you, you said it for me. It's almost so real business, folks. The art moves in those panels. It's, I don't know what voodoo he did on them, but when you look and just flow through the panels, it has a beautiful movement. So it does, you know, as you say, definitely a skilled, very cool shit. I don't know if you if you want to pull back up the Kickstarter page, but we could definitely talk through some of those pages. And I think I put a preview for what will now be book 10 on there. And if I didn't, there's definitely at least the first six or seven books worth of stuff. If you just want to give an example, and I could talk through it. But absolutely, it's funny. I have to pull it up on a different because Chrome is very naughty to me. Very naughty (laughs) when it comes to that. But look at that beautiful cover on that joint. So this 
and this was actually a gift. So shout out to Cody. Uh, what? A yeah, gift? Mr. Schroeder, who I had reached out to him and I asked him like, hey, man, I love your work. Do you think you could you know, work with me on a cover? And he's like, no, nah, I'm busy, you know, but I do like what you're doing. You know, hit me up in a few months, whatever. You know, he was super nice, super professional. I went my separate ways. Like two days later, he hit me up and was like, I got a gift for you. And it was this. Uh, and so, you know, I went back and obviously asked for his permission to throw it on a cover. Shout out to B. Navarro, who then brought color to it. But yeah, man, this is this is a Natu Kinnisk. This is the man, hopefully the myth and the legend one day. But this is the guy that any of the rule of nine kind of kind of centers around. And there's an interesting little tidbit there that if if you wanted, I could dive into just about how he brought in he was brought into the world and we could use this to pivot into the world building too. Talk, uh, baby, talk, baby, talk. Yeah. So so I take it back to 2020 before I send anything out to that editor. I had six or seven people in my circle friends, associates who were willing to read what at the time was seven issues worth of comic book script. So straight up, no art, no nothing. Panel descriptions, if you've ever read a comic book script, not the most interesting thing to read. But I had some folks who read it and they also provided feedback, letting me know they actually read it. <laughs> and the main thing was this world seems fantastic. I love it. It's it's big. I can tell how, you know, all the all the kind niceties about the world building, but they felt that it was too distant. And they felt like they had no one to walk with. And Most. so I had this idea of this medieval bounty hunter. I'm a, also a Star Wars fan and of course Boba Fett was always, you know, someone who's just uh-huh ingrained in my mind. And, and so I figured, well, how can I bring Boba Fett to a fantasy story? And so I started looking across my map. I went to, you know, what I call the, the islands of Kavana, which is a militaristic culture. They, their culture centers around their Navy. They have a very particular way of existing in the world. All the firstborn in every family, man or woman are drafted into their Navy. Anatu is the oldest in his family. So he starts out on this journey and and basically some things happen and he ends up walking away from not only service after his you know mandatory 10 year 20 year service he walks away from his faith from his family from his home and tries to find a new beginning and so he heads to the republic kingdom of athea which is kind of the main stage of any of the rule of nine where the rule of nine is the law of the land and he's looking for a fresh new start he's all he's been hearing about his whole life is how great this place is for reasons, Kavanians don't usually travel to Lathea. I like to keep that one a secret until you actually read it because that plays itself out. But long story short, he, he's now lost. He's in this new place and, and just so happens that this place is sitting on the brink of war. And so we get to see it all unfold around him. And so he is he's certainly the, the character that brings it all together. And if you come to any it now, he looks like such an intricate part of it. But I literally wrote the whole first volume and he didn't exist. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And so for what you've read, you know, I'm sure you've seen his face a bunch by now. And- oh, yeah. Definitely have a whole bunch. And, uh, and people seem to feel a type of way over home. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because everyone knows Araukita, right? And Araukita, that's the name of the, 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 the basically like the Navy SEALs in the island of Cabana. And they know them because they carry this weapon. 
And so for folks who don't know, this is a kind of medieval-esque tale. It takes place in the fictional world of Amashik. But, you know, definitely I play around with basically any culture, every culture from 1100 to the introduction of gunpowder. And depending on where you are in the world, that's, you know, a couple different decades there. But that's kind of where I take the inspiration from. And so swords, you know, maces, you have arrows, you have all these different weapons, but here's this guy walking around with this blunted object with these gnarly teeth at the end that, you know, couldn't really, unless he's bashing over the head with it, not really going to be able to kill you with it, right? So, well, you, I mean, look at that, though. I mean, if you try to block it, your hand's coming off. Oh, yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely... You know, that means to go like this. <laughs> they're not afraid of maiming in, in, in Kibana, but one of the things that Raukita is meant to do is capture, not kill. So you walk around with a dagger, and then this kind of six-foot urosa is what I call it, but it's really modeled after the ancient man catcher. And so, you know, it, that look stands out. It's a very bold look. They, 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 they don't cut their hair, so you can see he's got the locks. And so everyone knows who he is, and they've got a reputation across Amashik. So, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not taken too, too kindly when he gets to Athea. That's for sure. Yeah, people definitely, I mean, and there goes the thing. I mean, I, who I got to put him up against? You got to make a figure so we can put him in the He-Man universe. Him up against Skeletor, Staff of Staff, who wins. Look at these cool collector boxes here, yo. What is up? <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's, a, there's a moment in volume one towards the end where, you know, basically, and this isn't too much of a spoiler, but the, the journey through volume one is what, what you could call a, a prelude for every one of these characters, you know, what gets them to where we actually want to see them, which is in the middle of these conflicts. You know, there's plenty of violence in volume one. I don't try to shy away from that, but I did want to be intentional, right? So from Anatu's first tussle in that tavern, which I think is mandatory in every fantasy story, you got to fight in a tavern. <laughs> but from that to where he gets at the end of volume one, you almost see like this peeling back, you know, he's trying to start this new life. He's trying to get away from his life of service, which is really a life of violence. Right. You know, I, 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 I want to make sure that he's careful and that he's not just going back because he, he had a reason for leaving. Right. But eventually at the end of volume one, he says, fuck it. You know, if this is if this is what this place wants me to be, if this is what this place thinks I am, mm-hmm. then in order to survive, I got to be it. And so, you know, I don't you you can't see it the way it's cropped here, but the top of his helmet is in his hand in this image, and it's just again shout out to Cody for for illustrating this the way he did because it just captures who Anatu is. He yeah. is a Rakita. He is a a, a warrior but he's trying to be that warrior in a garden. And volume one just shows how hard that is. And this is a crazy image there. Another crazy looking weapon. Jeez, it is insane. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's some things that I, pl- I play around with. Like I said, I'm pulling inspiration from what we would just loosely call the medieval world, not just medieval Europe, but, you know, pull from the Americas, pull from, you know, the African continent pull from the Far East. And I'm, and I'm trying to bring a world to folks that looks familiar, but still new. And that is where, again, Luke's ability to be so fluid and, and have this art jump off the page really came in handy. And 
And that was where I, that, that was how I made that decision, you know, because I knew the story I wanted to tell was so alive for me. You know, I, I started building the world of Amashik probably in like 2016 ish when I started writing these scripts, but it was for another story. I guess you could say it was always for this story, right? But I was trying to fit other things into it. And then ultimately, I just decided to tell the story of that world. And Anatu ended up being a really important part of it. Yeah, well, I mean, again, beautiful. I mean, look, they get some samples of the art. They get. See what I'm saying, yo? Panel uses there. Somebody that doesn't flow cinematically, man. Gorgeous. See. Oh man, you got parchment paper maps and this all that you did on this joint, crazy. The maps, you know. Shout out to she goes by Dominique Strange on on the internet, so I won't won't tell her her full name. <laughs> but uh, shout out to her; she's relatively local to me as well. And I came across her work, and I had actually taken a big whiteboard and done the old D and D trick of pouring coffee beans on a table and tracing the shapes, and and I used what I knew of the world of Amashik that I was creating to basically line things up. So I knew ge geographically certain countries had been at war 50 years ago. Well, that they had to be this far away in order to not have decimated one another. I'm thinking about logistical, you know, lines for, for militaries to march. If I say these people were over here, you know, so after I did that and made a very crude version of my map, I found Dominique and, and she, she put that together. And one yeah. of my favorite things now is, taking the whole world and spreading it out. And I have it on the front of my table at cons and it is very big conversation starter for folks when they walk by because it isn't an empty world. You know, I've got history for all of Amashik dating back to an event known as the separation, which is, you know, a couple hundred years before the events of this story. Ooh, and look at it with the current folks. What a beauty, isn't it? Look at that. Oof. Yeah, that coloring is wonderful. Thank you. That's all B, B Navarro. So I found B again, you know, the, the community of artists out there, B is from Brazil and, and the community of artists in the indie scene, it, they're, they're deep. The roster is deep. So I don't know how I came across B, but when I did, I knew that her use of color was going to be perfect because again, it, while it, you know, one of the things that I love about epic fantasy is that feeling of, you know, immersion and even though you know it's not real right you you still can feel a part of it and there's something about the way she uses color right it's like she that sent Bob Ross on them leaves right there I'll tell you that much <laughs> you know she sent me something early on when she first started coloring because i this is originally all black and white and i didn't get it colored until last year so all the first vol volume originally came out black and white the readers who had rocked with me for you know two three years said hey we just want this in color I said, well, you technically paid for it, so fine, you can get it in color. <laughs> and so I, B sent me something early on. She had this like purple and orange sky. And in my head, I'm like, I've never seen a sky that color. Like, are we sure we want to do this? And then she literally pulled over, took a picture using her cell phone and sent it to me. And while it wasn't the same purples and oranges, I immediately saw what she saw. Yeah. And so from then, I kind of fell back and said, all right, well, we're just going to use your color palette, you know, whatever you think works, here are the things that need to be red because it's this, you know, this banner. Here's what needs to be blue because it's this banner. But everything else, do your thing. And and that that color, like the art, I think just just fits the fantasy genre really well. I mean, look at this. Fire. And why, why again, and even the word bubbles I noticed is different. 
no matter white word bubbles, you know what I mean, with black lettering, you went total opposite, you know, for the book. That, wow. that, that was, so I think that was just an original byproduct of the black and white pages. And okay. that was actually all Luke. I can't even take credit for that. Okay. Luke, yeah, because when I, so I letter the project now, but when I first started, Luke was lettering for me. And then probably by the third book, I took over. And so when he first started, I think his thinking was he knew how dynamic the art had to be because in his mind at that time, I told him there was going to be no color in this project. And so I think he just went with the black because it popped on his artwork in a way that the traditional white just doesn't. I've actually gone back and, and kind of re-lettered some of the original stuff. And I started tinkering with the idea of you know, redoing and stepping away from the black. And I did, and it just, it didn't feel like the same project. And so that was why I stuck with that. There are still some of the books that you can find with the, the, the white bubbles, but the black to me is just, it, it's become synonymous with any. You know, like, wait, and I mean, look at these pages, just fire, fire, fire. Oh, look at this panel right here. Oh, man. So that's probably the first time you see a not to really show out you know this is issue two and he's you know he again he, he leaves the city of dunport early on in issue or at the end of issue one some things go down and he's like man i know i'm not gonna be comfortable here let me go so he, he he seeks out work and someone gives him directions to the cunningham estates and let's just say he's gonna pay that individual a visit one of these days and, and maybe get his his and put the work in <laughs> Because he he was definitely set up. And so as a result, he has to, you know, he has to he has to survive, right? And right. then even after this, he still tries to fade into obscurity, but just little by little, his past just catches up with him and it becomes clear. You know, he just can't get, you know, just keep coming at him. What what can he do, yo? And I said I don't shy away from violence, right? You know, I wanted yeah, this yeah. to be Again, you look at a lot of the epic fantasy genre and you have, you know, you have battles, you have skirmishes, you have, you know, fighting pits, you have all these things. And I think one of the, you asked me earlier, what sets any of apart? I like to take my use of that and really be intentional about it from issue to issue. So in, in issue one, King Julius and his sons, they are marching to war and, and they kind of, you know, Things get set off pretty early there. The first three pages of any it are actually pretty bloody. Papa, uh, Papa, Papa's not a good man. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know, and he kind of, you know, everybody's the hero of their own story, right? And I think that's the idea I'm playing with Julius for sure. Because what he's doing by by all means to Athea and at least the upper crust in Athea is the right thing to do, you know? But you can tell he's he's got some bad intentions. And so, say, you know, choose you come bounce off the page on him again. You know, that's a well done job on your part. But you. you feel the 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 intent of the character. Like, all right, man. I mean, I get it, but then you really got to be such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and and he did right because so we didn't talk about what the rule of nine is. So the rule of nine back in college, I studied philosophy, and and so I used to kick around this idea of like this basically an oligarchy, right? Like nothing brand new under the sun, but just 
term limits is something that I feel strongly about. We won't have, we won't go into politics, but term limits in the Republican Kingdom of Athea last three generations. So they're not really all that limiting, but three generations, a certain number of families hold power. And after that third generation monarch dies, then the nine families that rule Athea have to give power back to the people and people have to choose the next nine to rule them. Well, King Julius is married to the woman that the power flows through. So King Julius was a general for Queen Ilaria's mother. And basically he, before riding off to war to, to really win a big prize, probably the biggest prize for Athea that they've ever won in terms of land masses, he asked Queen Elra at the time for his daughter's hand in marriage. And she basically, in so many terms, said, if you win me this, you win me this battle, you can marry my daughter. And he does, and he gets to marry the, the soon-to-be queen. And so when she dies, his sons won't inherit a thing. And so when you look at his behavior now at the beginning of the book, you kind of see why he's going so hard because he's trying to get it through these kids' heads, these kids who've been handed everything. Like, you're not going to have shit when I'm gone. And you've lived this privileged life. You need to get your shit together because you're going to be public enemy number one to whoever comes to power next. It's quickly and, coming to an end, kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so, you know, one of his sons really grasps that and the other one just doesn't get it. And so that is what that. So, yes, he's being an asshole. But again, like. <laughs> right thing you know he knows what's going to come come to his son's doorstep and like you said quick fast in a hurry and so he's just trying to get him prepared but enough for none i mean it's because he's an asshole i mean the, the, the oh, asshole that he was sometimes you know and a-hole gotta be an a-hole for four reasons you know those a-holes are actually angels that are trying guys they're just an a-hole of the moment until you realize the goodness that they're trying to spread huh? and that is that and is is one of the things that i'm really playing with you know i because to me, all of these, again, Amashik is a very old place in my mind, not only in reality, but fictionally. You know, it's got history that I've built and played with for a long time now. And each one of these people, like, I know why they're doing what they're doing because I know what their grandfather was doing. I know what their great grandma was doing. And so in my mind, like, I kind of get lost in who's the hero and who's the villain when I'm telling their story because all of it's so meaningful to me. And even these two, you know, Jan Lusk, who's getting knocked out here by Anatu after he's finally put on that helmet, you know, his backstory is one that I don't know that I'll ever explore on the page, but talk about the rags to riches type. He's someone who who takes up the 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 title of bounty hunter in Athea, and he and he's pretty much a Natsu's foil throughout any of the Rule of Nine, and that's really their first kind of foray and first battle with one another. But that's going to be a feud that goes on, you know, throughout. And in those original manuscripts, he's a Natsu's partner. You can see right now that they are not partners in the current volume, and and I don't know that they ever will be partners. But when I first wrote him, he was actually, you know. A hero of sorts. And then when I had to introduce Anatu, they kind of, what they were doing clashed immediately from a narrative perspective. And so like, you just nailed it. You know, I don't, yeah, sometimes people are assholes. Sometimes things that they choose to do end up causing immense pain and harm, but everybody thinks they're justified and I'm a sheik. And so 
I hope, one of my big hopes is that by the time people finish, this is planned for three volumes, this leg of three. story, three volumes. So done. I'm halfway through. The art is done for half of volume two. It's just a matter of getting back to the Kickstarter grind to get it out to the world. Uh, are you going to do the next volume? Are you going on the per issue or is it volume? So what's funny about that is all year in my head and in my circle, I'm going volume, no more issues. And then I finally came back to the work, right? So I back in probably April, I went and basically told all my followers, all my fans, hey, look, I'm taking the summer. I need time. I've been grinding for three years straight. Like I need to take a break. And so I did that. And I did that with every intention of coming back with a 90 page book. And when I came back to it like a week ago, actually in prep for this, like, all right, let me get back in the, in the, in the saddle. I was like, oh no, I need to release these one at a time. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and not for nothing, but I think a lot of it too is in this last few months, I've really reflected on the best way to use Kickstarter and Kickstarter's changed a lot in the last few months. And I think what I used to do was, you know, put out, I would still do this, pay for the art up front, get the art done. So the art is in my hands and then go to Kickstarter and let it get funded that way. And then you have the two, three months for everything to get printed, blah, blah, blah. But what I did, what I think I might do is pay for the books, get everything printed so that, you know, six weeks after the Kickstarter closes, money hits, everything ships out. And you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the, the financial risk of printing a couple hundred copies early, knowing at this point that there are people who are going to pick it up. But yeah, honestly, it was last week that I said, no, I'm probably just going to do like a little blitz of three short campaigns rather than putting it out at one chunk. Because I think to go back to the independent creator bit, part of the fun is being able to do that and, and watch and, and listen and interact with the fans bit by bit. You know, I think if I throw everything out at once, then I kind of lose steam as an independent creator. So I'm not sure. But right now I'm leaning closer to single volume, single issues. But two weeks ago, I would have told you one big volume. <laughs> I go that single issue out the way you got some material to do it. The convention, something, a pimp, you know, they yep. got nice storyboarding. You know, when we get that to, to Hollywood when it comes back or wherever it is. The new Hollywood in Georgia, the Tyler Perry building too, you know, whatever it is, you know, let's make it happen. What what is you know, the, those are the dreams, right? That's I've always seen this thing bigger than you know, bigger than me because of how real these characters are to me. I think if nothing else, their story is 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 worth it, right? Because each one of these characters, like I said, they've in my mind I see their entire life in front of me, the ones who make it to the end and the ones who don't. And at this point, it really means something to me what happens to a Natu and how people receive it and whether or not they like it is off to the side, but I wanted to I wanted to hold I wanted to hold meaning for the people who read what what I'm doing. And so I think about the people who have really stuck with me since issue one and how they would feel if instead of being able to collect this thing one through twenty-one or one through twenty-two, wherever I land, they were able to collect one through seven, but now they can't have eight, nine, ten, right? Yeah. And so I thought, and that's from getting to talk to comic book collectors at these conventions. Awesome. And I'm like, it's cool that you have this big book, but like, where are the single issues though? Like, and that was so that's that's something that I really think. We love our books, no matter, don't let the digital world make you think any differently. Right. Us nerds still love our physical. 
product. We love ourselves for we wanna we wanna torture ourselves when we move and carry heavy boxes of comics everywhere. I mean, I moved several times and I man, if I lugged it that people look at me like you're moving those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it is what it is. That's our love, you know, that's our passion. So, you know, talk about you being on any conventions, you know, and bringing this product with you. You're gonna be anywhere for the rest of this year? So the rest of this year, there's nothing on the schedule right now. I, my wife and I, we, we bought a home in April and we've been working at it. Thank you. This I'm actually sitting in it right now. So we're probably moving in in the next few weeks. Are you going to get a man cave? Once again. Oh, I have it. Oh, I have it. He had it. <laughs> I have it. He, he got, he got a, I will be honest. Retirement. I, I will be, or, or at least I appreciate you. One of my truest, Truest fans to date, or Lee, I hope you appreciate the care package that I know you just received. But one of the, uh, I'm sitting in another empty room, by the way. <laughs> recording oh, something. But I'll be honest with the people. My man cave is just the closet, but it's a big closet. And I'm going to love this closet. I'm going to record, you know, content in this closet for. It really is a little cave then. Yeah, it, it is. It's tucked around in the basement. My daughter's playroom is right on the other side of it. But I, I managed to secure one. <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters, man. It took me years to finally get my man cave. Now I got two. I'm excited because it comes with like built-in shelving in there. So you talk about all the things you want to show. And you got your, you know, so I very excited to bring the next phase of any to life because it's going to come with those collectibles. It's going to come with the tools. We getting figures, bro. We getting figures. Yes, so sir. Something that weapon. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's so, easy. He brings so a weapon for the character. I'll that was it. the that was the test run for the 3D figures. So there's an image that I used for the rear cover of every issue in volume one. And this is another thing that I don't want to get lost and why I'm leaning towards going single issue again. I had this idea that I play with this on that collector's box that everything is telling a Nazi story, right? So there are panels on that collector's box. And if you look at that from left to right, that's Anatu's journey through volume one. And on the backside, it's kind of where he is at the end of volume one and who he is. And, and so I'm doing the same thing on the rear cover. So on the rear cover of volume one, all those issues, it's him walking with that staff when he first gets to Athea. And now volume two, which is kind of that in between, he's sitting and he's really tired and he's contemplating, you know, what I, what I get into. And then the image for volume three will kind of show where he is, which again, not really a spoiler, will be in the midst of some conflict. And so those are all little things that I'm trying to do, little little pieces of flair that I'm trying to add to this world. So the story is 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 as vibrant again for the people who experience it as it is for me. Well, wonderful. You hear this? This is an awesome creator. All right. So when's the next project lined up for? So the the long and short answer to that is I could hit. I have a campaign right now. It's, it's in. I ha, it's in the pre-launch phase. I got like sixty some odd followers on it, and I could hit launch on that today and be able to fulfill that with no problem. It's a matter of getting my mental ready for it. Okay. And, and so what? I, what I told Melissa. Shout out to Melissa Mazarios who put us in, put us in touch. You know, I told her that this fall I will drop quarter three. I will drop. I am looking currently in the October range. My first Kickstarter came out in October in 2020. So I kind of want to bring that back to kind of launch volume two, three years to the day after volume one. That will put us, I believe, October 5th, if my memory serves me correct. 
but somewhere in that range. And, you know, I'm, I've been on Substack for a while now, so I'm coming back to Substack next month. I'm excited for that. Been doing some world building on Substack, some prose writing on Substack. So this world exists in a few different places, and I want to keep that going. My big dream for Amashik and Ennead and the Rule of Nine is that, let's say you decide to pick up a novel set in this world. Let's say you decide to pick up a comic set in this world. Let's say you pick up the eventual board game that I want to bring out. You can jump into this world anywhere on this timeline, and it feel fresh, it feel new, it feel complete. But then just beyond it, you've got all these other avenues to experience this world. And so I still have every intention of bringing that to life. It was just a matter of me, like I said early on, appreciating and and sitting in and being proud of that work that myself and my team put in to really respect it enough to bring that home and, and push the next leg of it. Because as anybody who does this independent comic thing or any kind of independent creation, you know this well, 352 episodes is no joke. <laughs> it, it's it's a slog, you know, it's it's you and it, it's you and it's you and it's you, right? And you get support along the way, but if you decide to stop, where else is it going, you know? And so I, I definitely needed the time and, and even seeing Orly in here jumping in after all this time, but really no contact, right? You know, she and I, we communicate every now and then, but for the most part, no contact with the fandom. But to have somebody jump in, that's that reminder that, oh, yeah, you got to keep going. You absolutely do, brother. You have a wonderful product. And as a fan of such products, I want to say thank you to you, a creator, that's putting your, your vision out there and sharing it with us. And, you know, and for taking the steps to do, you know, and, and overcoming your, that, that, that fear or that doubt. Thank you, because you do have something that's amazing. It's a great read. I can't wait to finish because as soon as we're done, I, I'm going to finish it because I have another couple of hours before I do something else. So, Adam, if I'm late, I'm sorry. I got to finish reading this. Uh, it's, yeah, it's all, dude, it's, it's a great book. I'm not lying. I, you know, yeah. it's for real. It's, it's a wonderful read. I'm digging the characters already. Like, you know, you know what I mean? I, I'm seeing what's popping. Like, all right, I'm seeing the action pop off. You know, but again, there's, there's a lot of things going on. It's a lot of chit chat. And like, huh, all right, what's popping? Wait a minute. So, yeah, you definitely did something well here, you know, with a wonderful ensemble cast. Thank you. You know, I, there, each one of these characters has a little bit of me in them, you know, and I think any creator would tell you this, right? Your, your characters are your kids and your babies, but really like in, in certain moments in my life, I am King Julius. I'm that person who's singularly focused. I don't care who I step on. I got to get this done. Other times I feel like Queen Ilaria where I have this huge legacy before me and behind me and all around me that I got to live up to other times or not to, I want to run. Fuck it all. I got to be on my own. This is too much. It's too heavy. You think about some of the other characters that, you know, get introduced later on. You know, one of my favorite characters is a a, a kind of a a post credits introduction at the end of issue six. And they come back once again in full force in issue nine. And all I'll say is, Lady Elswine is her name. And and I imagine a dark side force user who has full control over all the Jedi mind tricks. That is who Elswine is. And I can't wait to be able to fold her into everything else that's going on. Her story is one that like I really truly resonate with. And and just to give a little tease, you know, the her bloodline is 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 
ancient and it, it is it is rooted in something really special but what they had was taken from them and so she tries to do the, the the buddhist thing right tries to go off into the mountains into the woods find herself and she does but she doesn't find what she thought she was going to find and she finds this need for vengeance and so when she enters the story she's talking about headlockers she's she's coming <laughs> she's coming to, to to fulfill something and so you know she's like a big wrecking ball to everything else that you see and and she has the the, the power to kind of and the force to kind of really make some things happen so again like all of this as soon as i turn my focus back to it i'm right back in it like i'm back in the world and so i'm looking forward to when the next project drops just being able to move move the move the, the yard markers one more time there we go there we go i can't wait for that to happen and folks you gotta stay tuned but you know how you stay tuned as he had mentioned earlier he does have a soft stack so you know and he's getting back on the game so check it's right there any other rule of nine.substack.com but guess what i make your life easy so the link is below at the notes so you know you just click away click away not just that one we got his insta here as well because again you know this where you, you kind of do a little bit more of, of your social link, correct? <laughs> that is the place. That's the, the best place to reach out. Before right. I left, Twitter was Twitter. Now it's X. I don't know what the fuck's going on over there. It's X, Facebook is meta, and everything's changing. Oh, my God. Where, where are we going, yo? Just find me on Instagram. I'll make my way back to X. It's too bad. It's too bad. I, I, there's a couple of things that, that are for the creator that, that you could you know have a chance to make some revenue if you know how to play the social game. So. The handle, is, the handle is the same on X Twitter, unless they kick me off. I really don't know. I don't think. Yeah. Why would they kick you off? You still in trouble. <laughs> I haven't opened it in in a couple of months, but yeah, same thing. Any underscore. I tell people at all the conventions, you know, put in any any underscore on any of your your searches, and I'll come up. You'll either see a Natu or you'll see my head, and so you'll you'll definitely be able to find find what yeah. I got. Well, thank you for your time today, my brother. I appreciate you talking about the greatness of the world building, your journey as an independent, you know, building, you know, crowdfunding, you know, a lot of amazing topics we'll discuss today. Again, so thank you, Joe, for your time. Me, gente, thank you for tuning in. You know, you better check out my, my homie right here. The, again, as I stated, all the links are below, a ton of them. So follow him on every single platform. Show the love for amazing independent creators. Because that's what we celebrate on the Comic Crusaders podcast and on the ComicCrusaders.com website. So show the love, all right, mi gente? Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe, turn on notifications. Check out mi gente at UndercoverCapes.com as well. Almega, hasta la próxima. Wepa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 